0: Hello listeners. In this episode of Around Startup, I have with me Sandeep Muti, co-founder of Lightbox. Let's hear more about Lightbox from the man himself. Hello Sandeep, welcome to Around Startup. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. So tell us more about Lightbox
1: and what made Lightbox what it is now. Like, you know, I think uh I will and we can go into that. But as we were sitting here before, we were just talking about the journeys people take and the paths people go down and what gets them excited and interested in in different things. And so, um, you know, I think it would, it's, uh, for us and for me personally, it's always been exciting to sit at the intersection of where technology and business are. I think it's not because it's necessarily lucrative in that financial sense, but it is the future. It is the new. It is the next. And um, I think that when you look at the pace at which change takes place nowadays, and there's two parts of it. One is the pace at which change can take place and the sheer chaos and complexity that is India. It's an amazing intersection and a place to work in because you have a chance to really do something impactful. You know, if you look at um, the problems people face here, whether you take healthcare, care, education, uh, financial services, all of these things we don't have well-established great incumbent systems that pretty much address people's needs. So for example, if you look at the US, uh, you, know, you have good public school systems, you have nice community colleges, people have access to education. If you look at India, we're just not going to be in a situation where we have the ability to effectively um, educate our population. Uh, you, you mentioned you grew up in Bihar, and for you to find your way out meant you had to literally find your way out. You had to go somewhere else. You had to make sure you could find a way to live somewhere. You had to really um, a series of, of lucky steps with, uh, with a fair amount of persistence got you through to a place where you know, you're now doing some good stuff. I think that those chances are just increased significantly by what technology can provide. And I think that's what's exciting to me. And, uh, you know, I grew, I was born in the U.S. I lived there till I was 12. My family moved to India. I went to school in Delhi. I went to the American school there. And I went back to the States. I did my college there. And ever since then, I was always interested in the intersection of technology and business. And I worked in investment banking during the dot-com bubble and saw all of the crazy companies. And today you talk about companies without profits. There we had companies without revenues going public. And so it was a very different world. And, you know, you kind of... Uh, look at what's possible. And um, I think that's really what it's about. It's about saying, why should I accept the world this way? If it could be that way, and we're actually in a place, and I'm, I'm also fortunate enough to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where I can try to see if that can happen. And so I think the, uh, the realities we often talk about entrepreneurs and, and us, and, and look, our view is as an entrepreneur, you're crazy. As an investor, I'm crazy. Because fundamentally, we're sitting there looking at a world that everyone is generally accepting and saying, no, I think we can do it differently. And I think that's the key. And I think that's what kind of underlies what we're about at Lightbox, underlies what we believe in. It's the idea of saying, I don't think it has to be this way. And so let's see what we can do about it. Um, I think that that that... That craziness often creates, uh, it's like two volatile liquids coming together. And so we have an entrepreneur that's crazy and an investor that's crazy. What you're hoping for is to manage the, the, the craziness in some consistent manner. And oftentimes, now of late, there was a whole bunch of talk about, you know, is it the investors that have pushed the entrepreneurs too far? Those crazy people have given them too much money and put too much pressure on these companies. And, you know, it's expected. Crazy people are going to do crazy things. I mean, and it's through that craziness that you find uh, outcomes that are un, un, unpredictable and unreal. You know, we uh, recently had to talk to some of our investors about just what we think about the market and what's going on. And we do this every six months. And this time we took us we, we 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 start in a very different place from where our end product is. So we started just thinking and talking about what is venture capital? What's it all about? Like, why, why do people do this? And if you kind of go back in history, you know, venture capital came from the, the, the term adventure capital. So it was an adventure and that was the idea. It was a bunch of people that were in mature industries who had extra money, who had friends that were thinking differently, who felt that, you know, if that guy could do that, that could be interesting. And so whether that was people who invested in, let's say, the railroads, These guys were people who had steel businesses, and they said, I want to move, I want to figure out how to to facilitate moving this stuff, and some guy came up with this idea, what about a steam engine, and what if we did this, and it benefited him, he knew a little bit about it, he felt I could work with that guy, we could think, put our minds together and do it, and he invested, and he did something, and he got involved with it, and he worked with them to build something, and he added something more than just this notion of money. Actually. Yeah, these are fundamentally risky ideas and fundamentally structures where you're going to have to work in a very different manner. Our, our, our whole thought process as we were researching this stuff took us into another world, very interestingly. It took us into a world of whaling. So whaling was a very big phenomenon back in the late 1800s. And there is a place in Bedford, Massachusetts, I believe. That was the equivalent of the Silicon Valley of whaling. And so whaling is this process where you go out into the oceans and you try to hunt a whale. And you hunt a whale because there was whale oil that was very valuable. Now, a whale is a pretty big animal and people are pretty small. And there were no sort of, I'll shoot a torpedo at the whale and get it and, and take it back. You had to literally go. So the whole story of Moby Dick is about a whale. And, uh, and so whaling as a business set up, and, and, and at the time, the way companies would work is, if I were in England launching a company, the thought process at that time had been, you should raise money from the public because that will put in place good governance in your business because you were beholden to shareholders. The whaling industry said this doesn't work and they, they didn't do that. What they said is, if I thought I like that guy, you're a good captain, I would say I'm going to put money behind you. And I would put money and I would get some of my friends to put money and we would all invest in you. You're the captain, you would put money in the expedition as well, so now you have money in the business also, then the crew would all get a percentage of the profits from the entire expedition because the way it worked is risk was so high that you wanted the guys at the forefront to have such a vested interest in the end outcome and be so empowered to make a decision that they could effectively manage those risks because the ultimate risk here was you were going to die and so therefore they needed to do it. Now, interestingly, that's how it worked. And the companies in in this Bedford area became the best whaling companies and had amazing returns for that period of time. Now, seeing all this, some smart people decided, you know, this stuff seems to be working well. Let's allow whaling companies to raise money from the public. So six states decided to enable whaling companies to raise money from the public. As they did that, those those six states, the companies that came out of those six states all failed. So the incentive structure was wrong. The whole, the, whole, the whole system was wrong. So, you know, you just asked the basic question, what's Lightbox about? And I've talked to you about whaling and everything else. But the, the idea is these are thoughts that influence how we think about what our business is. We are um, the reason. So I've been doing this in India for the last 11 years. I moved back. I, I started a company in the digital music space back in the late 90s. It was Spotify 12 years too early. I basically spent the first five years of my working career doing things that basically didn't work. And it was phenomenal. And it was great. It was very depressing along the way and challenging. But you know, in retrospect, it was probably the best set of things to do at that age because you learned a lot about what not to do. Um, I then spent the last 11 years now investing in companies in India. And I think that you know, there's often this idea of, The entrepreneur is down here and the investor is up here because the investor has the money and therefore the investor therefore must have the knowledge. And I think it couldn't be more wrong. Um, It's not a journey that anybody knows the path of. We invested in ClearTrip back in 2005. We were the Series A investors, the only investors in the company, the founders of ClearTrip. I had gotten to know over a year period before we become good friends. Um, there came a situation where somebody needed to step into the role as a CEO of the business. i had never built anything in India, so it was a great opportunity for me to learn something. We all trusted each other, knew each other. We didn't have a hierarchical relationship. I had no clue what, what I was doing. They had no clue what they were doing. The only difference was I had some money from some people who were kind enough to say, let's give it a shot. And, uh, and, so, and I was their representative managing that. And so as a result... We worked together to figure it out. It was a collaborative journey. It was a journey where every day I learned something. And I think that's what the venture business is about. That's what this job is about. It's very much a job in the same way you have a job, in the same way that any other entrepreneur has a job. We have a a series of people that we're responsible to. We have targets that we have to meet. We have uh, objectives that we have to identify. The only difference is... Unfortunately or fortunately, we don't get measured quarterly. We don't have a p and that we can publish. It would make my life a lot easier, quite honestly, if every quarter I could say, here's my revenue, I'm meeting my target or not. Every quarter, every it takes years before you know if you've done the right thing or not. And so in that environment, it's impossible to say that we are mentors to anyone. I think we are simply in a journey alongside people where I learn a lot, just listening to you before, I learned a lot from your journey. And the chances you took, the the decisions you made, the thought process that you go through. Because look, for me, tomorrow, we are trying to figure out how to to work with people in certain ways. To understand um, the type of people that will think in a different manner and we can engage with. When we invest in a company, it's a marriage. We're in it now for a long time. Now, therefore, it's really interesting that when the market's hot, people come in and say, I, need, I have a term sheet yesterday, I need, you need to make a decision in the next 90 minutes, otherwise we're going. Would you get married like that? I mean, I, I think that it's, some people do, some people are very happy with it, some people have an approach in their life that that's okay. For us, when we think about the people we want to work with, we have to know them, we have to understand them, we have to understand, because I can guarantee you, actually, I can tell you as a fact, not a single one of the 15 investments that I've made over the last 11 years has gone per plan. None of them. None of them have gone per the plan we set out at the beginning. Some have exceeded it, most have radically missed that plan and figured out a different plan, and it's fine. We navigated together. We, when we invested, I'll give you another example, we invested in ClearTrip at the beginning, we said alright here's three million dollars but we're gonna tranche the money to you. And based on our understanding of the business, we said here are the milestones that make sense. And you know, so one of the milestones for argument's sake was you must sign up three tour operators to put on the platform. And we started building the business and we started going down it and we started looking at it and we said, after a while, we don't want tours on the platform. It doesn't make sense. We're not trying to be an aggregator of tours and let people just book a Thomas Cook tour here. But at the beginning, we conceptualized it with that thought in mind. Once you start building it, you realize that doesn't make sense anymore. Just so All right, that milestone is out. So it doesn't make sense. So I have to, you have to kind of ride that journey together and you have to be able to understand. Another good example is Inmobi. We invested in Inmobi as a Series A investor at a time when it was called Emcoge as a business. As Emcoge, our idea was this is an India opportunity. There were at that time 400 million mobile subscribers in India. We felt that mobile advertising was a very local market. We felt that with the growth of other online and mobile businesses, there would be a need to create an advertising platform that could contract with both publishers and advertisers in a local market, and therefore India was a good market to start to do this in. What uh, we got wrong, quite honestly, was that the advertising market in India was intrinsically small, and it wasn't going to grow at a rapid rate quickly. The driver of the growth in advertising dollars over time here will be the growth in per capita GDP. And that was, as most things in India, on India Standard Time. And so it was going to take some time for that to evolve. So you kind of look at these things and you say, all right, as we went, what we did find, though, Was the publishers we were talking to started to pull us into other countries and say, hey, look, if you can do that for me there, can you look at South Africa for me? Can you look at Indonesia for me? Can you look at Singapore for me? And so we started to say, well, why not? I mean, we have a tech platform. We're investing in it. It's just a matter of going there and finding some advertisers, which we think we can do. And so suddenly our starting thesis was an India opportunity, became a global opportunity. And it became that if you were a passive investor in a company, who felt that I am the all-knowing. I might have sat back and said, wait a second, you guys, we invested because of India. What are you doing? No, I think it's a bad idea. I refuse. But because we were engaged, because I could see what was happening every week in the business, where we were spending a lot of time together, we were able to understand that wait a second, we need to do this. This is the only way we'll find the right revenue scale. And so the, the, these are kind of just examples of how I feel you know our business, is uh, perhaps incorrectly put on a pedestal. And sometimes it's done by the, the, the people in my industry and we kind of have a, a belief that you know we, we have the money and therefore we have the ability to make the decision. Sometimes it's driven by the entrepreneurs who feel like the guy who has the money is the God and so therefore we must believe that what he says is right. Look, I have made Many uh, mistakes throughout how we built businesses. I think as an investor, I've made mistakes. Um, we are very open about the idea that we don't know it. Um, we believe that we we believe that we have the need to learn from our entrepreneurs, and we believe that we have the obligation to figure out how to effectively help collaboratively navigate these spaces. So that was a very long answer to a very simple question that you asked, but hopefully that gives you some context for how we think, if not necessarily what we specifically do, but I'll get to that as we go.
0: So now I can say if you're a crazy entrepreneur, you should definitely come to Lightbox and talk to these guys out
1: here. (laughs) Absolutely. I think look, craziness is a prerequisite. And so um, (laughs) I think uh, we all have to be there. And I give you the reasons why. I think that, that that's that's default for the process. And um, and also, by the way, if you're a crazy entrepreneur, here's how it'll go for you. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll hope you were born rich. And you'll say, I have all the money in the bank, I'm gonna go after my crazy idea, and that's the best way. If you can't do that, the next thing you'll do, next thing we'll do one of two things next. You'll either go talk to a couple of friends, or you'll talk to your family, or you'll talk to someone and say, Look at me, I'm such a smart guy. Come on, can I please have a little bit of money? I've got this great idea. I was talking to my son the other day and trying to explain what we do. My son, I have two kids. One is nine and the other is six. And so we're talking about, you know, because I'm always running around places, meeting people, talking to people. And so I finally asked him, I said, do you know what I do? You go to the office. I said, yeah, but do you understand what we do at the office? So to simplify, I said, look, we take a bunch of money from some people over here and we give it to a bunch of people over here who have interesting ideas and think they can do something really cool. So my younger one looks and says, so you mean like build a banana gun? I said, yeah, that could be an idea. And so basically, you know, you would take this banana gun idea and you would call up your cousin, your best friend. And you say, hey, listen, I got this great idea. It's a gun that's going to shoot bananas. What do you think about it? And, you know, if you're lucky, one of your friends is equally crazy and says, yeah, I think that's great and gives you some money. Now, maybe that doesn't work. Then finally, you say, okay, I have to go to some institutional place because these guys have built their businesses around giving people money. So the first institutional place you'll go to is a bank. And you'll say, listen, I got a great banana gun. We're going to build this banana gun. It's going to shoot bananas. You know, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to have so much fun. Minions love this stuff. And so we're going to run around and we're going to do this. The bank will say, you're crazy, potentially, most likely. And say, you know, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Now, you've exhausted every channel possible in the world. Now you go to, you've go. you heard, someone has told you, there are these crazy people called venture capitalists. They give money to crazy ideas well before their time is ripe and they, they have this thought. But the really big downside is you have to give up a piece of the pie to them. And so at that point, you're like, my, my, I, my parents didn't manage to make me rich enough to begin with. My friends are unwilling to trust and believe in me the bank basically kicked me out and told me my banana gun is the dumbest idea ever. This guy is my last chance. So you are so beaten up at this point. So you can understand and appreciate when the, that crazy venture capitalist doesn't respond to your email and you have no more options to go down. As an entrepreneur, you get pissed off and you take to Twitter and you say, these guys are crazy. These guys are terrible. And I, I understand why, because look we've all been through that process. We're you feel like your back is up against the wall and now you've run out of every option possible. So now you say, let me tell the world how bad it all is because my banana gun was going to save everybody. So, um, yeah. So yeah, we, we, we embrace that craziness and look with it, we accept the fact that no one's going to like us. And we're not, we're not in it. I wouldn't say no one's going to like us. I'd say it's fair that many people will be disappointed. Our model of investing is very engaged We spend a ton of time with the people we invest with because, like I said, that's what we feel is our obligation, our interest, our desire. What that means is our priority in life categorically is to work with the people we have decided to work with. It is not to worry about all the other people we haven't yet decided to work with, nor is it to figure out every moment of the day are we missing the next big opportunity. We have decided to work with some people, we find those ideas interesting, we found those people interesting, we are now in a relationship with them. Our number one priority is to make sure that they are progressing and creating value. We have made an obligation and we have made a promise to our investors that we will find interesting people, build interesting businesses, and create returns for them. To do that, we feel that the only way we can do it is commit our energy in that direction. That means intrinsically that we're going to not be able to engage effectively as effectively as we'd like. I would love nothing more than to have 24 more hours in every day and to therefore be able to take that extra time and find some of that to go meet interesting people and learn more because we learn from every conversation with everybody. It's just unfortunate. You have to, you have to filter in some way. You try to be good about it. You try to be conscientious about your responses. But look, like I said, that poor entrepreneur, his back is against the wall. No one's believing in him. And uh, we were his last hope. And when that's taken away, y- you feel sad. And I can understand what comes from that.
0: So uh, how open are you guys with like, you know, putting money on single founders?
1: <laughs> We've been excessively open about that. Um, let's see. We have five companies in our current fund. One, two, three, four. Four out of five. The fifth one is almost is uh, it's a main. they're one person, but four out of the five companies are single founder, and so um, and we talk a lot about that risk. You know, it's interesting. The risk comes from a variety of areas. You know, one is when you start a company, the company's vision is very simple. The company's culture is very simple. It is you. So. If you decide that I believe that the way in which we're going to build the culture and the vision of our business is that everyone's going to wear shorts and a t-shirt and come to work and nobody should wear a shirt and nobody should wear shoes and that's how it's going to be and our, our, our environment is going to be all open and everything else and this is how we're going to talk and we're going to build everything in some very uh, es- esoteric language called lisp and we're going to have this is how we're going to do it, then great, you're fine. The minute you bring the second person in, that person comes with their view. And that person now says, one second, I don't think shorts should be allowed. I don't think we should work uh, at 8 a.m. in the morning. I think we should start the office at noon and work till 3 a.m. I don't think that we should build in lists. But I think, okay, there goes your, your whole singular, clear vision is gone. So then you bring the third person in. He say, I think both of you are crazy. I think black shirts should be banned. I think we should and it can go like this and this is how it goes and so as you build a company everything changes and the issue is single founder, multi-founder, multi-founder what happens? Some of these have been addressed. You've seen how they've adapted to this. You've understood whether that that group has the ability to to communicate a consistent story. I don't care if it's a good story, a bad story or or, or the right story. It's consistent. They found a way to change together. They found a way to evolve, to, to address whatever they've learned together. When you have a single founder, you don't know if that person can handle any of that. You don't know if that person um, is going to be willing to seed some of these ideas to the next person. What you do get a sense of is whether you can work with that person. You are able to develop a very deep relationship and connection. So there's some great positives. You have multiple founders, you don't know the power dynamics between everybody at the beginning. And so there are pluses and minuses to everything in life. And so. You know, we're, we've been comfortable with that risk, um, it puts a lot more burden on us to be engaged, which is also why, look, as a company, we have um, 10 other people outside of us as partners who all have functional responsibilities. They work with our portfolio, we have people who do recruiting specifically for the companies, we have people that do brand and marketing specifically for the portfolio, data and analytics for the companies not because the companies can't do it themselves but more because if we're going to go into early situations like this the biggest thing we can do is provide learnings in these areas quickly and try to help these companies accelerate through that and so that's what we do
0: so what do you think about uh, the idea the idea which comes from us or china and indian market some has worked and some has failed miserably.
1: So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to introduce my partner here since he's walked in in any case because I think we do a, a better show together um, and, and uh, I think you'll get, you'll get better perspectives as you hear from both of us. Um, so, so, my partner, Sid, you're talking to the computer. <laughs> I was wondering who he's introducing me to. <laughs> the audience in the world. Out Hi, there. audience. You don't have to wait. so um Sid and I have known each other for many 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 months many many years hours minutes so um yeah hours and minutes also so um we've we uh went to school together in Delhi and since then have done a variety of different things in life and came together three or four years ago to look at investing in things and so um so as, as we go, I'll, I'll let him give you more about his view on life and things. But to answer your question, US, China, India, you know, actually, we have a very big problem with this general question. I think uh, somehow it's become the one, I'd say, soapbox that we stand on, which is India is none of those countries. And therefore, what happened in those countries and the, the thoughts of those countries while interesting and instructful, are not necessarily prescriptive of how we should build businesses here. I think that there are fantastic innovations that take place there. There are aggressive new ideas that are tried in those markets that um, make sense, but I don't think that they have to be transplanted en masse in totality. And specifically what we would say is, I think you can learn a lot about business models and about markets. So let's take for example um, Airbnb as a business model of creating a situation of, of enabling trust for people. People who are looking to either make some money out of some space that they have or get a unique experience in a new location. You have to figure out how to facilitate an ecosystem that enables that. And then it applied it to the accommodation market. Now, in our ecosystem, we liked this question of how do you create trust in a system? But what we didn't necessarily like was the idea of how to apply it, or we didn't believe that it was best applied to the accommodation system. We actually felt there was an interesting market to, to put that in, which was in the used automobile space. And I'm going to let Sid talk to you a little bit about what we did with that. So actually, before I, before I do that, If you do, if you do
2: take and duplicate a model, I think we've learned very quickly in India that you can't expect localization and first mover advantage to be your big differentiator. Uh, So if you're going to copy Amazon's model in India, you can't expect that when the daddy comes into town, that localization at a certain level and first mover is going to give you a massive advantage. You have to have a, more of a differentiator um, to go about it. And I think that's a big learning because in, in China, for example, uh, because they didn't allow companies to come in, you were able to use that as, as a differentiator and then grow. In India, it's difficult because so many of these companies can come in, and then what do you do? So, I mean, if you, if you are going to duplicate, which is something that we don't, there's not the kind of company that we look for. It's difficult to duplicate in that sense as well. Uh, What we looked at it in the trust aspect, India is a very fragmented market and trust and transparency in any transaction is difficult. And it's especially difficult if you don't have price. And in lots of markets like housing and like cars, it's very difficult to come up with a price for a plot of land or a Honda Core 2008 that's gone 40,000 miles. There's no basis for it. The government hasn't done anything and the private sector hasn't done anything. So one of the things that we did, and Airbnb had created that trust in their marketplace for uh, consumers and renters to, to get together. How do I trust this guy? Is gonna have a house that's clean, or he's not gonna kill me in his house, or how do I know that the person coming into my house isn't going to mess up my house or steal something or kill me or kill me? Yeah,
1: kill, kill death, me is a pretty. I think
2: death is a pretty, pretty big
1: important, deal. Important um, issue in life, right? To, to make sure you're not gonna die as a result of a transaction. I think it's important. And ha- has there been any uh,
0: Death? report where yeah. someone got killed by taking Airbnb?
1: I don't <laughs> <No>. know. So, <laughs> but
2: there was a report <laughs> where someone almost died um, in someone's house um, uh, 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 while they were using Airbnb and the the person who owned the house rushed him to the hospital, stayed with him all night long and he got better. And saved so, him. and say, and well, yeah, well, the doctor saved him, I suppose. I mean, the guy probably didn't save him. That's
1: that's trust and well, that's the service I mean, they are giving. Yeah. I think Airbnb saved
2: him. Yeah, Airbnb yeah. saved him.
1: Right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the guy got through
0: uh, via Airbnb, and uh, as you mentioned before, it's all about trust. If he
2: had gone into a hotel, he would have died. Here. He would have. He would have died. And I think that's a that's such a core part. Now there there was a you know incident in France also where you know this guy got kidnapped. Right. Oh, okay. And um, the and Airbnb had to change their the the way that they structure their call center because the, uh, you can't contact Airbnb to get in touch with someone. And so you keep learning and, and you keep you know uh, changing and evolving. But the core of it is how do I create trust between a buyer and a seller? And we used it for a market that made sense in India. Um, in the auto, in the auto space so a lot of money has gone into discovery in India discovering which car to buy But the biggest problem in a transaction in India is making sure that there is trust and transparency between two users. So we use the model that Airbnb got but we use it in a sector that made sense in the country that we're in And we do that over and over again if you look at and this used car company uh, It's called Droom. It, you you're not going to be able to compare it to any other company in the world. It's a very different kind of company. And so we're not looking for the Uber of uh, India necessarily or the Instacart of India. We're looking at using the Instacart business model or the Uber business model, like Sandeep said, and look for the verticals that that model makes sense in for the country. Does that make sense?
0: Totally, so uh, what I understood is like what makes sense when it comes to getting an idea from US and using it here in India is all about not only localizing it, but building a trust that gets you user to use your product.
2: No. No. Okay. (laughs) The idea is that there are different, when you're looking at models that are abroad in the US or India or China or anywhere else, we're not looking at trying to duplicate that model. So we're not going to build the uh, same. the same company here and use the same premise over here. But behind every company, like Airbnb, there's a model of building a product that's a marketplace online where uh, there's a buyer and a seller. And in order for the buyer and seller to come together, you have to create certain ways of getting them to trust each other. So we took that model, and we didn't apply it to the accommodation space in India. Because we're not really, we're, I don't think at some level we weren't comfortable with that space. So Airbnb is in the hotel space, right? They're, they're disrupting the hotel industry. We didn't apply it to that industry in India. We applied it to an industry in the, in the used car industry. And we said that that, that needed the trust element of, the, of how they were doing at Airbnb. They, were, they needed that trust element in this particular vertical. So we're not taking and duplicating models. We're not taking Instacart in the U.S. and saying, oh, this model makes sense here, or the Dropbox and saying Dropbox makes sense over here. But we will take the subscription part of Dropbox and say, oh, maybe that makes sense in a different vertical, like furniture. Rather than trying to sell furniture, can we have subscribers that pay on a monthly basis and then can return the furniture whenever they want or change the furniture. So we believe that India is unique. And you can't take models from other countries and put them into place over here. Instead, you can look at what those companies are doing from a business model uh, basis and say, where does that business model fit best in India?
1: You see the difference? Yeah, totally. Okay. So the, the, uh, And the reason this all came about was if you look at... Look, India is a country that's going through changes in parallel, right? So the issue is, you know, we... Um, There's this whole idea of leapfrogging. And with leapfrogging comes this notion that we're going to go from crowded, crazy roads to hovercrafts in the sky and everything's going to be amazing. And that's not it, actually. What's happening is we're just skipping certain steps in the equation and getting to aspects that have their own unique set of challenges. So we don't have a very organized country. It's all fragmented. So you have retail that's fragmented. So you don't have large incumbent retailers. So therefore, if you haven't had large incumbent retailers, no one's organized the supply chain. It's been a mess. So you have fragmented suppliers, but along with that comes actually very competitive priced products because suddenly there's no centralized costs. So that means if you can figure out how to leverage that asset in a manner that looks different and then apply it in a model that makes sense here, there's a ton of interesting stuff you can do, which is why e-commerce the marketplace model has always made more sense than an inventory model. You look at India as a country in terms of rural versus urban. We're about as urbanized as the U.S. was back in the late 1800s. And so therefore, on one side, my God, we have so many people still living in an agricultural economy. But on the other side, we have the second largest internet population in the world with 80% of our traffic coming through mobile. So you have these amazing sort of paradoxes in existence. And so you sit there and you say, all right, this isn't even like China. Because China is more organized than we are. And China is actually more sort of uh, able to dictatorially go down a path. So they have only one winner, I can say. Yeah. Here we don't have that, right? So far. Here, here you'll, get, you'll get winners in different areas, but it may not be in the same categories that you've seen elsewhere. Okay. So... The Google of China is Baidu, the Facebook of China is WeChat, the Amazon of China is Alibaba. In India, whether uh, any of those verticals will be a local player, it seems, seems unclear what the local player's advantage is. And so if those specifically, Google search works everywhere, we're an open economy, they seem to be winning to have one. Facebook as a social network works everywhere. There's no intrinsic difference required for India. They seem to have one. In e-commerce, broad-based e-commerce, you have capital as a clear differentiator in trying to acquire customers. You have some level of product innovation that can take place. The only aspect of India that seems differentiable in broad-based e-commerce is if you're going after the broader, longer tail of products, where like I said, because of the extreme fragmentation that exists, the product, products that sell in tier two and tier three cities are very different than the products that sell in tier one cities. And so therefore, if you're able to go after finding those suppliers in a differentiated way, so again, not to, to be self-serving, but we have invested in, in personal capacity earlier in a company called Shopclues, And so they're on a very different end of the spectrum from where an Amazon, a Snapdeal, and a Flipkart compete. And they're doing very well. It's kind of playing over there, Letting these guys fight it out in Bombay, Bangor, Delhi, Hyderabad, Chennai.
2: Of course, unless Taobao comes into the country. Yeah. And then Shoppus needs to figure out how to differentiate even further. You, you, I mean, you need to keep... We're in a great... Actually, in a great country for creating massive innovation at a local level. Right. We just don't do enough of it. Yeah. There should be a Google for India. There should be a Facebook for India. There should be. We should be thinking through it. I mean, there definitely should be an Amazon for India. But are the companies that are out there right now need to be innovating much more than we actually have been able to. And to a large extent, our, our feeling was that cash alone would differentiate at a local level. And the guys that have come into our country have done an unbelievable job of localizing very, very quickly, whether that's Google, Amazon, um, Facebook or any other product that's actually set up over here. How this, based on the speed of the internet connections or based on the needs of the consumer that's out there. Uber. Uh, it's so amazing. So
1: basically cash doesn't differentiate and
2: Cash doesn't differentiate. Oh, I meant um ca- payment, cash payment, not wow. amount of money invested. Yeah. But cash can't differentiate because those guys have a lot more cash than anyone's right. going to be able that's to exactly. raise anyway.
0: But uh, Uh, As far as I have felt like uh, Amazon is getting more users attracted to it, like Amazon.com, because of their service.
1: Mm. You know, look, we can go on about this, but I'll tell you something. We were talking before about entrepreneurs and uh, sort of your your journey and your thoughts on how investors apply and think about stuff. I'll tell you, I don't think you're going to hear something drastically different from us on e-commerce or on Amazon or on Uber we think that those guys are doing an amazing job in their country they've figured out how to address the market need and i think that that they will make it very challenging for a local guy to win i think what's more interesting quite honestly to talk about is sort of the, the 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 thoughts that you think people have about who investors are what we care about what we look at you know how what some of the misconceptions are or perceptions are, right and and i think that you know, we, we were talking earlier and you said, you know, a lot of times people get together and say, God, that investor was just such a difficult person. Or I'm being nice in how I'm saying it because I'm assuming this gets played places where you shouldn't be <laughs> cursing all about it. But, you know, we'll say that people don't necessarily regard us as the best possible people in the world. And I think that it's very important as an entrepreneur to understand that it's not, uh, it, all money does not come from the same place. And I think you also pointed out earlier in our conversation that, you got to find the person you can work with. And I think that that's a really important um, insight that you had to say that, look, how do you figure out who that person is? So Sid and I, while we work in the same place, we're very different. Right? The things that interest him could be very different than the things that interest me. I've had a very different set of experiences and personal biases that will impact how I think about it. Now, as an entrepreneur, if what you're trying to do is find your, your personal crazy, you know, the person who is your doppelganger, so to speak, in the crazy universe, who brings along with the various craziness, some money, then really what you got to do is find that person, not just that firm. And I think what's actually really sad is people have narrowed it down to saying, I'm going to find a venture capitalist. We've narrowed it down to an industry, forget a company. I don't care which one, as long as he fits that name and says VC in his name somewhere, that's what I'm looking for.
2: Ready to give me money.
1: And, and 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 yeah, and is in the business of giving money. Yeah. Forget even ready to give me money you know. That guy is in the business of giving money I want to meet that guy. The That's sad a- thing which I've been hearing these days is,
0: hey, I am doing this. I am X Y Z funded. They will not talk about what they are building, what they are passionate about, but they got Series A funded or Series B funded from XYZ but You know
2: the media also they've. Gamified, I, let's not talk
0: about media here.
2: <laughs> but it's it's a it's unfortunately it's been gamified a lot, and it's a lot to do with funding, but. I think the point is different. But. The
1: game. I mean, that 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 process is is what it is, and I think that, look, we all intrinsically are playing a game. Now, you know, sometimes you're you have to figure out that the game, the game that we play on one side is making sure that our investors understand who we are, what we have to offer, who we're going to go after, how we're differentiating. The game that the entrepreneur has to play with us is describing and getting us to buy into the way in which they want to change the world and connecting with the right person. So, I think that. Like I said, I've been doing this for 11 years. It's gone through cycles. When we raised money, um, and you, you were saying it before, people's sole focus was, I got Series A, okay, let me get Series B. I got Series B, let me get Series C. I got Series C, let me get Series D. Oh, damn, I have to build a business. you know. So, it, But it, it, is, it is, let's understand, so this, now we've gone on a different point, but let's start with first, my, the first point that I, I think is very important that whichever five people or 10 people or whoever out there kind of take something away from hearing all these things and, and, and kind of reflect upon it, that they understand that don't just look for money. Look for the person. I think that's most important. Not even the firm, the person. You have to get down to that level in your thought process. I think the other thing is, once you do that, you have to understand that that person has his own set of obligations up the, up the, up the value chain. And therefore, they have requirements that say, I want to change the world, but guess what? I told that guy I'm going to give him a lot of money back at some point. So we're on a bit of a clock. So can we figure this out sooner? And can we do it this way? And therefore, what will help us do that? And so therefore, you have to know where their motivations come from. And not it's not that it's good or bad. It's different. You're signing up for it. So when, when you decide to take venture money, you have definitively stepped on the treadmill. And now you are running. And that pace will no, no longer be set by just you. Sid will come over and hit the button a few times and start making you run faster. Then guess what? You'll say, God, I need someone else to help with this business. That guy will hit it a few more paces faster. Someone may come back. Sid may come back and reduce it and slow it down. Or you may have to push him away and hit the down button. But you have to know it and you have to be in it. You can't say, oh, my God, poor me. You know, my my, my life sucks because that guy told me to spend the money like this. You You have every right to say something else
2: you know there's this this whole um, mystical story about you know some guy walking into an office at Sequoia or one of these funds and in one hour getting a check you know or or a day getting a check and it's it's mystified to the level of saying oh my god that's that's what you want but that's not what you want because all the things that Sandeep has just said you're never going to get you're not going to know who you're getting your money from in an hour as much as we want to spend the time in many of the many funds most funds want to spend time with you to get to know you and your business, you need to spend that time saying, do I want this money? Do I want to spend my time? And do do I trust this person with helping me build my business? Because that's what this is. When you go get money from a bank, the bank's giving you the money and they want their return. They don't care what you do beyond that. And they can manage that and monitor that very closely because you're giving them money. Here, we're not getting anything in the short term. We're, but we want to be we want to know what's going on and we do it at a much larger extent but to a much larger extent but every venture capitalist will want updates and want to be you know have their whatever they're saying heard or and and that becomes a big part of your business managing expectations um of the people giving you money because they're the one that's their money your livelihood our money and so I think it's important to realize how important that relationship is and how important the idea of not only the individual but the mindset that that individual would come with, the amount of time they have with the capital that they have, where they want to take the business, et cetera, before you start taking their money. It's actually a really it's – a, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. I normally don't say anything good about him. So. <laughs> also, did, did you say that only five people are listening right now?
1: I figured you would listen to it. I'm going to listen to it. I'll listen
2: to it. My my kids will definitely listen to it. Your kids, right? So that's four.
1: four. I I think I'll get one of my kids to hear it.
2: Both my kids are under three, and so they'll listen to it, but they'll be listening to themselves.
1: (laughs) No, we'll get more people to listen to it. I wasn't commenting on your reach. (laughs) I was commenting on people's interest level and what we have to say. I'm sure you reach a lot of people. They're going to look at this and say,
2: well, they'll read the title. Oh, my God, no. (laughs) Not these two
1: again. (laughs) Jesus.
0: So are you guys under pressure at times? I'm I asking this because out there, there are a lot of entrepreneurs, as we discussed before, like, hey, they're not giving us money. They should also know, like, you know, the amount of work you guys are putting out here because it's not your money. You have also taken it from someone and you want a return out of it by helping the company grow where you have invested. So what are the, you know, areas where you guys get into kind of some kind of pressure?
2: You know, it's interesting. Um, Sandeep's been doing this longer than I have. Um, and we used to have this conversation as I was, as I was you know, starting and, and thinking about how, how the industry works. And it, it seems from the outside that there's absolutely no pressure. Uh,
1: literally.
2: It, it, yeah, no, literally, it looks like, oh my God, it's so, you know, my, that's like the ideal. And we used to meet founders so many times saying, what do you, you know, uh, where do you want to go in life that I, we want to be just like you? It's like, why? But you know, because after all this hard work, we'll just sit back and relax and make decisions on giving money, and it's so not like that. And it's not that we're unusual for it. The amount of pressure that is there to make, not only to make a decision, but also to cultivate that relationship, be able to progress that relationship, um, it's it's a lot. And beyond anything else, you're um, you're putting yourself out there a lot. Uh, and I think uh, your your the value that you will bring is such a long term thing. We have a slide that we have that it's a roller coaster ride, and so your you know your stomach churns, and your stomach really churns because you have no idea the economy is going up, the economy is going down, the, the sentiment is going up, the sentiment is going down. Oh my God, I can't raise money for this company. If and Oh my God, this company's going to die. This company needs more money. Do I put more money? When do I put more money? Where do I get other money from? How do I help this guy or this lady? How do I, I mean, there's a lot going on and simultaneously you have to deploy capital. So um, I think that uh, to a large extent, there's a lot that we do, um, both from from a deal flow standpoint as well as a management of a company standpoint that is constant. If you remember, once you put money in a company, that company is not being run by you, it's being run by someone else. So you have to really motivate them to trust you so that your word is heard. uh, And that they want to work with you. Whether you work as closely as we do with those companies or you don't work as closely as we do. So I think that there's um, a tremendous amount of pressure.
1: actually tell you, this is how it works, right? We go and tell a bunch of people that we can do something interesting with the money you give us. Right? We're going to go find some cool people and make something good happen. They say, all right, we're trusting you. So imagine, I've just sold you on this idea that I'm going to be really good at finding smart people out there and I'm going to give them some money. They're going to create some value. You're saying, I don't know anything about who you're going to give money to, but I trust you to not screw it up. Okay? Now, I'm taking your money and I'm looking out there in the world. I'm saying, that guy looks interesting. I'm going to give that guy a little bit of money. I think we can work together to build something interesting. But now, I'm telling him that, look, it's your business. It's your vision. It's your opportunity. But I've seen a lot of stuff, and I can help you. And I can share my my perspectives. And together, I think we can do a better job of of achieving a a better outcome. Now, he's got to feel like it's his business. This guy's calling me and saying, where's my money? I can't tell him, go do this now. Because if I may, I say that, he's saying, who are you? I thought you said you were my friend. We we're going to work together on doing this. So now you're in a world where this guy's saying, where's my money? How's it doing? Why is it? Why, what's, how's it progressing? I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating it to make the point because our investors in our fund are very nice. They're very practical. They understand the world. Um, just in case they're listening as well, right? <laughs>
2: so, I, I also want to say that they're they're very good and, and <laughs> practical and um, and reasonable. understand reasonable yes. and understand the world.
1: And 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 our entrepreneurs are also fantastic. I mean, I think they they're collaborative. They're they're, they're great. Um, I, I also
2: want to say that the entrepreneurs are collaborative <laughs> and great.
1: So as a result, what we what we end up trying to do a lot of. You've seen the movie Inception, and so you're trying to get that idea in their head, and then you're trying to make sure that you're allaying the concerns. Because also, it's not the concerns that are created by the investments you make. It's the concerns that happen with other things that happen in the market. External pressures that that have that, that put pressure on the execution of that business or on uh, our investors and their world of, of issues and challenges. So, yeah, sure, it's a pressure, but, you know, it's fun. I mean, I think you cannot get into this business um, with the sole objective of making money the same way i don't think you can be an entrepreneur with the sole objective of making money i think you do these things because you just love the game and you love the various pull points that exist and you love what you can learn by doing those things i think we have one of the best jobs in the world because we get to learn every day and I think that's the reason why someone should want to be in it, but not because it's low pressure or anything of that sort. So if you have one
0: advice to your peers, like who are competing with you, you know, in funding other startups, what will it be?
1: You know, I, I actually, um, we're not really, we're, we're a collaborative industry in that sense. You know, if I were Flipkart, I'd be fighting against Snapdeal but as lightbox, I'm not fighting against anybody else. We're going to do a small number of deals. We're going to work with a handful of companies in a very close manner. If there are other people that can add value to that company's effort and endeavor, we love working with them and we have no problem with it. We don't we don't have to be in every deal. So I don't it's it's not a zero sum game, right? That, I mean that's actually the beauty of our industry in 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 an e-commerce business, for example. You have hundred rupees to spend, either I get it or he gets it. Beyond that, there's no more hundred rupees to spend. In our business, you're one guy to fund, either he can fund it or I can fund it, but guess what, there are 500 more of you. So it's okay if you decide that your future is better aligned with him because he can maybe value you better today or he has a deeper understanding of your business or has a better network to help you grow it, fantastic. We don't ever sit there and try to to compete with someone for the deal. We try to make it clear what we can provide. Because if I've won you by effectively putting you in a corner where my deal is so good that you would be stupid to refuse it, then at some point you're going to regret it based on the other aspects that you gave up. Or the other aspects of me that you now have to live with. And so as a result, we don't don't see it as that. We see it as, this is who we are. You like it? Fantastic. Let's see if we can do something together. Same way, if you're going to start a company tomorrow, you're going to want to get people around you that like all the aspects of how you're building and thinking. Not just the fact that you're paying them the most money. Okay, so
0: this question I asked in my previous podcast as well with, I think probably with Karthik. I'm asking it with you as well. Uh, do you ever have this uh, chance when you are sitting on a cap table and uh, during a new round, a new investor walks in, he pumps in more money than what you have put in. And then he has his own set of rules, liquidity, preference and all. And the founder is going with him. And that's when you are screwed. You have had something like that. Like the same guy who whom you trusted, you, you know, Put in all your money. Say in series A, he was listening to you. They, he was working with you. You guys were working out together well. Series B, someone else comes in. He put, he pumps in like say three x four x. He has the two x three x liquidity preference, and the founder is all aligned to him. Yeah. So
1: um, we sorry. Go no, go we uh, we do a, a few things in general in life. We start at the beginning with this belief that we have to we have to uh, create a relationship with our investors that is driven off of influencing so we sorry we um, so for everyone listening Sid just have to leave he says goodbye and uh, he'll, he'll be back <laughs> if you wave to them it would be helpful <laughs> All right, excellent. So, um, coming back to your question, C- competitive people on the cap table and all of that, look, if a company is doing well, first of all, you should be able to avoid situations like this. You should be able to raise money at a reasonable set of terms without optimizing for value as a sole driver. Unfortunately, things, that's what is happening, right? These things happen, and they're happening globally where people are saying, I want to be, pick an animal. And so I want to be that animal, and as a result, I'll accept whatever other terms come with it, but um, I get to be an animal, and look, I'm great. And so, therefore, you know, that's where the problems start. And the minute you become that animal, you now have a new set of problems in life, which people don't realize. And um, as we watch the story play out over the next couple of years, we'll now understand this and suddenly realize that, ooh, being an animal is not the best idea possible. And it brings a different set of a different set of structures that create perverse incentives going forward. And I think that that realization will come. But now let's assume that that's the issue. So such is life. People are now stuck with this idea of I want to be this animal and so be it. Now, or maybe they have to accept terms because their business has not achieved the metrics that they've um, hoped. And so therefore the only person who's now willing to give them money has terms that are very hard to live with and so on and so forth. Let's say you have no choice. If you have no choice, then as the investor and the entrepreneur, we should probably be pretty aligned that the only reason we're taking this is because we have no choice. Now, let's say that's not even the case. Let's say for some odd reason, the entrepreneur decided, I really like that guy, and even though he is putting terms in place that are really bad for you as as my early investor, and they're probably bad for me as the entrepreneur, because if they're bad for you, they're worse for me. If you look at a cap table and you look at a waterfall structure, whoever came in last is at the top and whoever came in first is at the bottom. So when a company started, the first person in was the entrepreneur. So he's at the bottom. So if it's bad for the investor, it's probably worse for the entrepreneur. So I don't, So the short answer to your question is no. We don't find ourselves in those situations because we've largely managed to either cultivate our relationship with our entrepreneurs in a way that we get that we're at the same side actually, being the early investor in the company, more and more as time goes, your interests and the entrepreneur's interests are closer and closer aligned. Because as more and more money comes in, basically, at the beginning, if you were at, at the level down here, and if the entrepreneur was a low level and the investor who came in was at a higher level, as more and more money comes in, the early investor gets pushed further and further down towards being the same as the entrepreneur. And so, therefore, that delta shouldn't be there. So... Um, and that's, again, Look, like you'll get entrepreneurs that will learn this over time. Um, they will have to understand better that uh, how table works. I remember talking to an entrepreneur who started a company in India back in the late 90s. He told me the way venture capital or equity was explained to him by somebody was it's like debt that you never have to repay. So that's the starting point of some of the thinking in the world. Now you start to say, okay, people don't get it all, they, they don't understand what they're getting into. That's gonna change. Stories will come out. You're creating an opportunity for, you know, Sid's kids and my kids to hear this great podcast and therefore they will know going forward that, you know, this is what the world looks like. And so I think that, um, look, I'm, I'm very hopeful. That's why I'm, I'm always appreciative of the opportunity to sit and have these types of conversations because I think it's, it's important that there be an understanding of how the system works then everyone can figure out how to make better starting decisions such that you don't have bad end outcomes or difficult problems along the way
0: do you listen or do you
1: read some like do you read how often do you read <laughs> i read email non-stop <laughs> <laughs> so no look i try to i try to I'm, i would love to tell you that i'm a prolific reader who um, can't put a book down but you know, I I find that I, I find that I get a lot of interesting thoughts from conversations. Um, I would love... I, I, it's not to say that I don't learn a lot by reading. I I just find that I, I get more engaged in discussion. Um, I read blogs and magazines and, and that kind of stuff. Um, when I get a chance to, I may tune my mind out and read a, a random spy novel or something of the sort. I actually, the, for the longest time... The topic that interested me the most was um, social, social science and social behavior. And so one of my, my, my favorite books is The Madness of Crowds and Popular Delusions. This is a very um, old book. It's about crazes and how how there was the, the, the most uh, well-known one was the tulip craze that took place um, in the late 1700s, I believe, in Amsterdam. The price of tulips went through the roof for no rhyme or reason. It just suddenly became the most the most desired item in the world, in, in, in that area. And so the price of tulips skyrocketed. And just as quickly, it crashed. Some and people so, are
0: correlating tulips to bitcoins, by the way.
1: Sure. You know, I, you know, it's great. People will keep coming up with the next... Oh, some people correlate internet stocks to tulips as well, right? I mean, it goes up for no rhyme or reason. It comes down for no rhyme or reason. So I, I think that... Um, you know, so to so yeah, answer your question, do I read? Yeah, these are the types of things that um, that interest me. And I wish I had more time to do it.
0: What all you hear from your kids because you often travel out, right? You're not with your kids most of the time. Sure. How does it like? How does your wife like keep up with the kids and like? How does it feel <laughs> like?
1: Uh, look, I mean, I think uh, it's a challenge of the modern world. Um, you know, we we uh, try to prepare them for the world as it's going to be going forward. I think the world as it's going to be going forward will involve a lot of exploring and um, interacting in varying cultures and environments so i think that you know we we do our best to make sure that they're exposed to a lot of things we do our best to um explain to them sort of what is happening and why things are going on but yeah it's hard i mean i think you 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 want to be with your family you want to do certain things and at the same time you have passions of your own that you want to pursue and so um it 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 definitely it definitely makes it makes it And one side, it makes it very uh, real in the sense of relating to the entrepreneur's journey as well. And I think that it's no different. And they work hard. Um, The companies we work with have guys that are often on the road a lot, away from their families a lot, um, doing things that are putting their dream and vision in front of a lot of things. Um, I think we do what we do because we feel passionate about what we're doing. I don't do it for a paycheck. Um, I couldn't. You couldn't get me to work as hard as I work for a paycheck. We do it because we believe um, that we're, we're working towards accomplishing something significant and, uh, and we'll hopefully find ways through a variety of things that we do to be impactful in a broader base of people's lives. And um, I think that offsets all the pain that comes with the, the difficulties of being away from life in general and those types of things.
0: How often you take vacations like no email, just be with family?
1: No, so, look, I think that uh, as much as I can, I'll tell you, as much as I can on the weekends, I will spend the time with the, with the family. And I will let things pile up till, let's say, Sunday evening, and then I'll get back to everything. I will, we're, we're taking a holiday, kids are on school break, we'll take a holiday, I'll go for 10 days. I, I don't think it's practical to do no email, because I don't think that's what I want either. That doesn't... And I don't think that that's what they would want either. It's not, it's not logical. I, I, I will check in on things. I will not be as responsive. But it does... Um, and I actually... Look, in the work that we do, it's, it's, it's thoughtful work. So it's not process work. So you find inspiration in various things. And you find perspective and understanding in different interactions. So it's not for me to say that... The, that even when I interact with, with my, my family in some way, shape, or form... I'm learning something interesting that was probably going to be applied in my head in some way to work so it's all work or it's all family either way you look at it thanks Sandeep you've been very kind with your time sure and
0: like you have any advice for a newer entrepreneur who are just you know listening
1: to the podcast and oh look i think i've given as much perspective as i can provide at this point i think uh you know i, I wish everyone luck in it and we we are equally um, struggling in the journey to try to find a way to, to make the future different and, and, and realize our crazy visions. So I look forward to meeting as many of them over time and hopefully working with uh, the ones that we all kind of align with and feel great about uh, working together. on. Thanks, Sandeep. Thanks again. All right.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. Your suggestion will be a great help to me. Send me your feedbacks to my email atul at the right startups.com. Or alternatively via Twitter at around startups underscore. Let me repeat. It's at around startups underscore. Background score is La Montage by Rocket Max under Creative Commons non-commercial license. I'm not done yet. You can also find us on Facebook, iTunes and SoundCloud as Around Startups. So what are you waiting for? Go follow us on all the social media channels and give us all your feedbacks.